0: This week, on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're back in Greek mythology, with the story of Atalanta. We'll learn what apex predator you should try to milk if you want superpowers, and how boar's head lunch meat might be a great gift for Valentine's Day. The creature this week is Al. Al's a fan of running with scissors, and stabbing with scissors, and performing unplanned medical procedures, with scissors. (laughs) This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 76, Lioness. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week's episode is brought to you by the newest mystery obsession, the book by the same relentless enemy by Keith Goad. By the same Relentless Enemy is a supernatural thriller following Craig Henriksen as he deciphers crime scenes alongside Chicago police in their search for a serial killer. Using strange abilities whose origins remain a mystery, even to him, Craig is forced to face the monsters of his present and his past. It's an awesome read that'll hook you from the beginning. Seriously, check it out. Find your copy today on Amazon or online at RelentlessEnemy.com. Today, we're back in Greek mythology. So the one with Zeus, Hera, Poseidon, and the rest of the gang. You don't need to be familiar with any of the previous Greek episodes, but if you're looking for context, the story begins after Theseus and the Minotaur, but before Jason and the Argonauts. We'll jump right in with a bunch of our old hero friends about to start an epic hunt, and Theseus, who's the king of the city of Athens, having some major issues with a late addition to the team. No, 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 no. We signed up to fight a murderous giant boar, not fight a murderous giant boar with a woman, King Theseus complained to his new acquaintance, Meliager, while glaring at the approaching female. Theseus, come on, man, Meliager insisted. Seriously, I like you, but you're being pretty sexist. Meliager was the son of King Aeneas, and it was in their land that this whole hunt for the giant boar would take place. The beast had terrorized the countryside long enough, killing and displacing the inhabitants, and it was now time for it to go. So, Meliager and his father had elicited some help from the surrounding kingdoms. Oh, what? Sexist? Is that supposed to be an insult? Theseus spat back at Meliager. This is ancient Greece. Sexism is all the rage right now. Most of the crowd around him nodded in agreement. Yeah, that that checked out. Well, not everyone. She hunts with us, or we don't hunt at all. On my father's authority, that's final, Meliager announced to the group of assembled heroes. His two brothers turned to him in outrage. He could not be serious. This was absolutely ridiculous. She was a woman, but Meliager stood firm. Well, if you're both so much better than her, then you shouldn't have a problem, right, brothers? He didn't wait for a response before turning to greet the woman whose arrival had prompted such outrage. Atalanta wasn't phased by any of this. Even though it was terrible, she had been dealing with it her entire life. Like, literally since the moment she was born. Her father, a king, was so upset that his firstborn wasn't a male, that he exposed the infant on a mountaintop. A listener reached out after the Oedipus episode, saying that even though by today's standards, this would absolutely be murder, the ancient Greeks might not have seen it that way. Exposing an infant was a way to get rid of the child, without calling it murder, because you weren't actively killing it just leaving it to the mercy of nature. Well, immediately after the servant left the child, on a hilltop, in the middle of the night, nature did in fact, come around for the girl, in the form of a giant brown bear. The mother bear sniffed around on the hillside, and spotted the abandoned baby girl, sleeping and defenseless, there on the hilltop. The bear salivated, and began lumbering toward the girl, eager for an easy meal. Soon, she stood menacingly over the girl, and as she roared and swung a paw into the air prepared to strike, there she paused. The child slept so peacefully, she couldn't kill a baby. The poor thing had been left out here all alone. She was probably hungry, and with that, the bear had an idea. The newborn fit comfortably in one paw, as the bear leaned back against a tree. Guiding the baby to her bear belly, the mother bear tried to feed the infant some milk, but it just wasn't happening. The bear was patient though, mainly because she had reared nine cubs of her own, and this human child would latch so help her Zeus, but also mainly because of the remote influence from the Olympian Artemis, who took pity on the girl, who had been left to die, solely because she was a girl. Artemis was the goddess of the hunt, of wild animals, childbirth, virginity, and the protector of young girls. So, when she saw a young girl being left to die, she intervened. And when she saw that young girl had successfully had her first meal, she intervened again. The bear watched the baby girl finish eating and patted the small human with affection. She would raise this girl as a bear and it would be the greatest achievement of the mother bear's life. Or it would have been if she wasn't immediately peppered with 20 arrows and slumped over dead. The hunters emerged from the forest around the hilltop, remarking about how easy that had been. It wasn't every day you found a bear completely off its guard, out in the open. They wondered what it was so interested in. Oh. The hunter clan scooped up the baby and rushed her back to camp, checking her for any wounds from the bear. But the girl appeared to be in perfect health. The woman who picked her up held her close as she looked off in the distance. They didn't know where the infant came from, and even though a baby would strain the time and resources of their little hunter clan, what other choice did they have? They couldn't just leave her here to die. It was decided that they would bring the baby back and raise her as their very own. Atalanta always considered that kind woman who found her and took her in to be her mother. Even though she was raised by the whole clan, one or two others nursed her when she was an infant. A few more watched her throughout her toddler phase, and when she came to the age where children in the clan usually learned how to hunt and fight, Atalanta, by virtue of learning from everyone whenever she could, and yes, according to the mythology, the bare breast milk, was already the best of the bunch. A quick point though, Even though Atalanta's abilities are attributed to her supping on bear milk as an infant, this is a profoundly bad idea, and the Myths and Legends podcast will not be held liable if you attempt to milk a she-bear. Atalanta was beloved by her entire clan, and it was obvious that there was something special about the talented, yet affable, young woman. That's why, when word traveled across Greece that they were looking for the best heroes to hunt the dangerous Caledonian boar, Atalanta answered the call. Casually spawned in Greece by Artemis to murder and pillage, because a king forgot to honor her in his sacrifices, the Caledonian boar was a massive problem. And you might be thinking that it's the same boar as the Arimanthian boar, the other giant monstrous boar from Greek mythology. It's not, though it's functionally exactly the same. The king who summoned the heroes was named King Aeneas. Aeneas is known for the Caledonian hunt, as well as introducing wine to his region of Greece, after getting the recipe from Dionysus. The ancient world was rough, so people were very grateful for wine. So grateful, in fact, that whatever the king's name was, before he wrote down the recipe for fermenting grapes, was lost. And his current name, Aeneas, actually means King Wineman. They were very creative. King Wineman put out word all across Greece, looking for the best hunters. In exchange for killing the boar, a hunter would receive the boar's pelt and tusks. That doesn't sound like much, but remember that Hercules killed the Nemean lion, and then was never seen without its skin. Seriously, he was a lion skin never-nude. Even when he was naked, he was wearing the skin of the Nemean lion. The messengers traveled to all the different cities of Greece, telling of the competition, and soon, word filtered into the camp where Atalanta lived. Out in the wilds, big names had already attached themselves to the hunt. Theseus, the kind of king of Athens, who had killed the Minotaur. Jason, the prince Violcus, who lived in exile with the famed centaur dad Chiron, Peleus. The future father of Achilles, Laertes, the future father of Odysseus, Hercules' twin brother, Iphicles, the Stephen Baldwin, Hercules' Alec, and more. Atalanta's clan basically ignored the news. That was cool. The kings and the sons of gods all got together for a big monster hunt from time to time, and it was something that didn't really concern them. They were just lowly hunters. Living in a wilderness in a world where hydras, cyclopes, and unbreakable lions were actually a thing was difficult enough. That's why they were so surprised when Adelina slung her bow over her back and began packing her things. They asked her what she was doing and she merely shrugged. She was the best hunter of their little tribe, as she could stay here and live out her life as the best of their group. But unless she left, she would never know how good she could be. Could she stand toe-to-toe with the sons of gods? There was only one way to know. As she said goodbye to her clan, the only family she had ever known, She smiled, this was her time. Centaurs were the worst. Adelana had this thought as she watched the two from her hiding place. As a woman traveling alone, she was a beacon for idiots like these. She reminded herself that centaurs may be wild and clumsy, but they were also strong. She needed to be careful, She had passed the pair on the road earlier in the day. Though they were scouting out the road, she had seen them before they saw her. The centaurs took one look at the beautiful young woman, traveling alone and galloped off in her direction. We've talked about centaurs before, and there are like two good noble centaurs. One is the epic hero slash camp owner Chiron, and the other is Nessus, who Hercules accidentally killed. The rest are just animals, and have no issues killing or raping anyone who gets in their way. Centaurs were a challenge for Hercules on his labors, and he had arrows coated with super poison. Atalanta didn't have the poison advantage, but she did have another, she was Atalanta. She had spent her whole life practicing becoming invisible in the wilderness, so when one centaur found the other dropping lifeless to the ground with an arrow in his head, he was pretty surprised, but Atalanta wasn't, and she quickly drew back another arrow, as calmly and disciplined as ever. The second centaur, having no idea where the arrow came from that killed his friend, realized just how out of his depth they had been to chase after this young woman, before another one of her arrows abruptly stopped that thought. The rest of the trip was pretty uneventful. She still had to keep an eye out for brigands, gods, and monsters, but no one saw her. Making her way to Caledon, and the kingdom of King Wineman, anxiety began to grow in the pit of her stomach. But, entering the main hall, she dismissed it the worst they could say was no. And they did. A lot of them said a lot of no's. It wasn't just Theseus, and I shouldn't make it sound like he was even the instigator. He was just the most readily recognizable name, and, you know, does have a fairly prominent and famous example of using a woman to get out of a jam before stranding her on an island to kill herself. It was ultimately Meliager, who stuck up for King Wine Man, and insisted that Atalanta be allowed to hunt. And, before you feel too good about this thoughtful and progressive gentleman insisting on equality of the sexes, Well, whatever budding feminism Meliager possessed, was overshadowed by the fact that the newly married prince was very into Atalanta, the beautiful wild huntress who strolled into the kingdom and bucked all conventions. Anyway, even though she had the eye of Meliager, Atalanta wouldn't be deterred. She had grown up in a hunter clan that was largely egalitarian, and since she didn't have a father or a brother, she was free to grow up as her own master. This was not true for the ancient Greek society at large, Ancient Greece was deeply patriarchal, and women were expected to go from subservient to their fathers to subservient to their husbands upon marriage. They didn't come out into the man's realm. And that's why Atalanta insisting on participating in the hunt was so infuriating slash attractive, depending on who you asked. It just wasn't done. So even though Atalanta had caught the eye of the most powerful and less than scrupulous men and demigods, she didn't fear any of them, because she never took off her bow or daggers, and wouldn't have any hesitation to give them a little bit of what the centaurs got. After nine days of eating and partying, the group was ready for the hunt to begin. Though everyone looked on Atalanta with a mixture of disgust and fear. They hated that they were being forced to hunt with a woman, but also that she was the real deal. She hung out with everyone, but she also spent days roaming the forest, studying it, learning it. While Atalanta was calmly inspecting her weapons, Feeling the wind and practicing her form, Theseus, Peleus, and the others were nursing hangovers and swinging their javelins around with bravado. That's when they all received the signal, and the hunt began. Atalanta took a different route from the main group, and soon they were all splitting up to look for the beast. Roughly ten minutes later, Atalanta, now alone in the forest, heard rustling in the trees in front of her. She drew back an arrow, and Meliager leapt out with his hands up. Oh, What a coincidence running into you out here. It's not like I was following you from the start and secretly pining after you for the last week, remarking aloud to everyone about how lucky your future husband will be. Well, anyway, now that we're here, we should hunt together, he said. Atalanta chuckled. There wouldn't be any hunting together. He could watch her kill the boar, but first they had to find. They were interrupted by two blood-curdling screams, not far off in the forest. Oh, okay. That's probably a good clue, Atalanta said, before rushing off toward the sound. (music) Peleus, the eventual father of Achilles, did not have his future son's disposition when it came to slaughter. To be fair though, who knew that a bunch of guys headed into the forest with sharp weapons and something to prove would get so violent? Well, it did. The boar immediately gored two unnamed hunters, before glancing up from their entrails to see Peleus, assisting Telamon, who had gracefully tripped over a root. If the name Telamon sounds familiar, it was because he was the one who catapulted over Hercules, to be first through the door, as they invaded Troy together. Anyway, armed Trojans being one thing, and giant boars covered in the blood of your fellow heroes being quite another, Telamon and Peleus shrieked in terror, as the boar charged them. Meleager had frozen in the clearing, but Atlanta had not. She whipped an arrow into place, and without a moment's hesitation buried it deep to the fletching in the monster's back. The beast squealed and veered off, away from the screaming heroes. Everyone had Herpelius and Telamon though, and as soon as the arrow became lodged in the beast, ancient Greek heroes materialized out of the forest, flinging javelins all around. If this sounds like a situation that can quickly get out of hand, well, numerous heroes were wounded not by the boar, but by a stray javelin that missed the mark, and one person actually died from friendly fire, due to one of Peleus' javelins. Then, one hero stepped up. Anseus, wool of muscle and the son of a king, bellowed for everyone to stop. The whole clearing, including the boar, froze in place as he threw down his javelin and pulled his battle axe off his back. He announced to everyone to watch how a real man took down a monster. He uttered a battle cry and charged it, just before being castrated and disemboweled by the boar, in that order, right before their very eyes. The boar rushed toward his next target, King Theseus of Athens, who could have done a lot of things, but rather chose to stand there, frozen in terror. As the boar was about to connect with Theseus, it was hit. A javelin stuck in its side, and the monster whirled around to see who had thrown it, and the person was right there, ready with the spear. Meliager buried the spear deep into the boar, piercing its heart, and ending the hunt. As everyone congratulated Meliager, and collected the bodies, they saw the prince was distracted by something on the boar. The beast was too big to drag from the clearing without a cart, so Meleager went to work skinning it right there, taking the prize before he left. No one was really surprised by this. They were very surprised, however, when he took the hide and head and presented it to Atalanta. we'll see that that'll go over very well, and there'll be no problems whatsoever, but that will be right after this. Alright, now back to the show. Come on, DC said. There are times in our lives when you get the feeling that people will be talking about what we do millennia from now. It's happened to me twice already, and I feel like the Caledonian hunt is another such instance. You want people to talk about how Meliager bravely slew a monstrous boar, not how he gave the credit to some woman he was hoping to... You can stop right there, Theseus, Meliager said, a for the king of Athens to take a look at the boar. What do you see here? That's nothing, Theseus said. Just an arrow, one of Atalanta's, by the look of it, buried in one of the boar's major arteries, and surrounded by fur matted with the thing's blood. That doesn't mean anything. It means, Meleager said, correcting Theseus, If we hadn't all jumped in front of the thing, her arrow would have killed it. It's like she threw the game-winning basket, and my hand touched it in the air. She did it. I can't take the credit. That basketball reference is about 3,000 years too early, but I think I'm tracking with you, Theseus said. But as a counterpoint, I do have to say, really? Yep, Meliager said. Okay, Theseus countered. Let me just reiterate my argument one more time. Really? Yes, it's happening. Get over it, Theseus. No, it's not happening, Meliager, the prince heard, and turned to see his uncle, his father's brother-in-law, objecting. Theseus wasn't the only one who had a problem with Atalanta. Some of the most powerful men in the kingdom didn't like that Atalanta was hunting with them, and now they hated that he was going to give her the prize. If you forfeit it, then it shouldn't go to some woman, but to the most honorable person on the hunt the uncle said. Is that so? Meliager asked. And who might that be? Well, as next in line for the throne of the host kingdom, I believe it will be me, the uncle said. Oh, you don't say? Meliager replied, very surprised. Sorry, uncle, but no. Atalanta drew first blood and shot the arrow that would have killed it. She gets the prize. Well, by law, I must defend my rights, the uncle said, laying his hand on the sword at his side. Oh, oh, you're threatening me. Okay, well, then, you really should be less focused on defending your rights and more focused on defending yourself, Meliager said, setting the boar bits down before striding over to his uncle and stabbing him in the stomach. Anyone else have a problem with Atalanta getting the prize? No? No? That's what I thought, Meliager said, eyes starting around the circle, before handing Atalanta the head and pelt. If there was one thing Atalanta was really good at, it was disappearing into the forest. She had lived her whole life hunting and tracking animals in the wild, so giving Meliager the slip was almost too easy, even carrying a giant boar's head and pelt. She got what she came for, and she didn't want anything else. She had understood Meliager's glances after he presented her with the head and pelt. That she earned. The fact that he was married, and that he had just killed his uncle didn't seem to put a stop to his ideas, but Atalanta only looked on him with disgust. She hadn't asked for the prize, even though she had rightfully earned it, and though he gave it to her, that didn't mean she owed him anything. Especially not that. He didn't seem to grasp all the enormous problems. Wantonly killing an uncle would bring him, and Atalanta didn't intend to stick around to find out just how quickly this kingdom would descend into bloody civil war. She left as soon as Meleager’s back was turned, and it did turn into civil war. Meleager ended up killing a second uncle too, for daring to question him. His mother wasn't thrilled about all of this and plotted against him, and their story ends with all of them dead after decades of successive wars and betrayals. So yeah, if you're going to put on a hunt for a dangerous mythological boar, avoid the years of internecine conflict and just bring a referee. Atalanta's legends spread across Greece. Doubly so, because of her mysterious disappearance. No one knew who this fierce woman was. Well, almost no one. It took Atalanta a bit longer to make it back to her hunter clan. And by the time she did, she saw everyone gathered outside a tent. The crowd looked on Atalanta with a mixture of pride and anxiety, as they all parted, allowing her into the tent. Inside, there was a man sitting with his back to the tent flap, and as Atalanta's adoptive mother embraced her, she said she had news. The man sitting here, this man was her father, the king. Yeah, so when I saw you were a girl, I was like, ugh, no thanks, and just let the natural world, you know, take care of it, no harm, no foul. Well, to me at least. And wow, took care of it, the natural world did. Look at you, beating the best Greece has to offer in the hunt for the Caledonian boar, wow. So I'm here, ready to accept you with honor back into my household, daughter. Adelantin narrowed her eyes and her hand almost went to her bow. Are you kidding me? You left me when I was a baby, because I'm female, and it wasn't nature that raised me, but these people here, despite the burden a baby put on them, so no, I will not come back to your kingdom. Get out of here before I show you what happened to this boar. Atalanta, a word, her adoptive mother said, pulling her from the tent. You have to go with him, the mother said when they were outside. What? What? "'I don't understand,' said Atalanta, confused. "'Look,' the mother pressed. "'You're going to be the stuff of legends. "'People will still be talking about you 3,000 years from now. "'You deserve a life better than that of a hunter. "'Our life expectancy is, like, nothing. "'Even for ancient Greece, I raised you. "'And it's because I raised you that I care about you. "'I want you to go be everything you are capable of being. "'I always knew that you were different.' A future queen, now it's confirmed. Now go, and live the life that was meant for you." Atalanta did go. It was difficult, but with her mother's tearful insistence, Atalanta understood that her life was beyond their camp. She had seen a wider world in her travels to Caledon, and she was ready to experience it fully. But, that's not what her life was going to be. Not in her father's kingdom at least. Her dad was very into the ancient Greek ginger roles, but he absolutely could not control Atalanta, who was content to do whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. Still, there was one thing the king insisted upon. One thing that was non-negotiable. Atalanta had to marry. She had already waited too long after the Caledonian boar hunt and the buzz surrounding her name was starting to die down, and he wanted to get her married off before Hercules killed something else this week, and they lost the limelight altogether. He could see Atalanta mulling it over, but he was shocked by her answer. Yeah, okay, I'll do it, she said, but on one condition, the would-be husband has to beat me in a foot race. If he wins, I'll marry him. If he loses, I'll murder him. The king hesitated. Deadly competitions to marry women were strangely common in ancient Greece but that wasn't where the problem lay. Atalanta was just immortal, and it was just a foot race. The king said, I mean, there are people out there like Hercules and Telamon who are literally superhuman, and we can't rule out the possibility of one of the gods showing up. You're going to lose this foot race. Well, if it's so easy, then you shouldn't have a problem marrying me off, Atalanta said, confident that there wasn't a suitor among gods or men that could beat her. Now, I have this thing I need to go do. Some kid is recruiting warriors to go get some golden sheep or ham or something from far away. Not sure, but it sounds epic. I'll be back in a few months. Yeah, no, you're you're not coming along, Jason said, standing in front of the Argo. But you saw what I did on the hunt. You know I'm capable, and you know I can hold my own against whatever, she said, motioning to the epic heroes all around her, and waving through the air thick with testosterone, oh yeah, I was there, Jason said, I saw the hunt, and it's not you I'm worried about, look, thank you so much for your application, and if anything changes, we'll let you know, don't send a messenger across the dangerous wilds of ancient Greece for us, we'll send a messenger across the wilds of ancient Greece for you, thanks, Bye bye Adelanta rolled her eyes, and left for home her father's kingdom, and moved right from one disappointment to another. He had put out the word, and her suitors had arrived. She went to work lacing up her sandals, and sharpening her sword. It did not go well for the first dozen runners. They would get a head start, and Atalanta would wait. Then, she would pull out her sword, and start her race. The finish line was the old twisted fig tree by the wall. If the runner passed the tree before Atalanta's sword passed through his body, then he would marry the princess. It was a bloody racetrack, as time and time again, Atalanta was the only one to cross the finish line. This continued on for weeks, then months. At first, many warriors and athletes came to try their luck. Then, fewer and fewer. Then, only the extraordinarily fast, brave, or foolish came out to try. Then, after weeks of no one racing, there was only Hippomenes. Hippomenes was one of many ancient Greek heroes that had been under the tutelage of Chiron, the centaur dad who helped raise such heroes as Jason, Achilles, Hercules and others. Hippomenes might have been challenging to the great Atalanta, but that didn't mean he was stupid. He knew he couldn't beat her in a fair race, so he turned to something that would help him win, performance enhancing apples. He prayed to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, for a way to help him win Atalanta's hand and she delivered. When he woke up the next morning, he found, there on his pillow, three golden apples. Somehow, he knew what he must do. Atalanta stretched for her first race in weeks. It wasn't like she was worried about the outcome. She had killed so many men coming to seek her hand, that it was basically just going through the motions at this point. But it didn't hurt to be prepared. She saw the guy, this Hippomenes. He wasn't bad looking, but the guy carried a bag with him on the run. He didn't stand a chance. The race was announced, and all the people gathered to watch the princess inevitably disembowel yet another suitor. It started, and Hippomenes was allowed his customary head start. He took all the advantage he could get and ran as fast as he could. Then, Atalanta began her chase. She caught up with Hippomenes in no time and raised her sword to end the race as she had ended so many before when she saw a flash. She couldn't help but look and turned her head, even though she was still running at full speed. Hippomenes had thrown something. She watched the golden apple bounce, and then slow to a roll on the grass. Adelanta knew she had to keep running, but there was something about this apple. She had to have it. It called to her and stuck in her mind. She didn't care about the race or Hippomenes or marriage or anything, just getting and keeping that apple. She lunged and grabbed it, holding it close, and cherishing it. Then she remembered that the race was still going on, and Hippomenes was far away from her now. She gripped the apple, and rushed off after the man. Hippomenes knew she was getting close, and when he could hear her just behind him, he tossed another apple away, and it had the same effect. The apples were magically irresistible. Atalanta had no choice, but to stop and pick them up. As the finish line neared, Hippomenes thought that he was going to do it, He was the one who had succeeded, where everyone else had failed. He was going to marry Atalanta. That's when he heard her. He knew he had to toss the last apple. He did, and it landed just a few feet off the track. Atalanta was used to the apples by now. She knew they were coming too. She still picked it up, but instead of fighting it, she considered it just one more obstacle. She dove and rolled, picking up the apple, and barely losing any speed in the process. Hippomenes, too, wasn't messing around. He saw the finish line coming up, and he could hear Atalanta close behind. So he dove. Atalanta, right behind him with her sword out, stabbed downward, and the race ended. When the dust cleared, the spectators saw Hippomenes alive, lying just past the finish line. Atalanta was gripping the apples in one hand. The sword was buried in the ground, and caught in the fringes of Hippomenes' tunic. He had won, he would marry Atalanta. Since there was nothing in the pledge that disallowed the use of magical golden apples, Atalanta had no choice. On her honor, she had to marry the man who had cheated his way to the finish. Now, I'm unqualified to give legal advice, but really, no matter what the contract is, always write in a clause that prohibits the use of magical golden apples. Now, Atalanta expected to dislike Hippomenes. I mean, the guy had cheated. He used guile and cunning instead of raw power to win her challenge, but then she got to know him and found that she actually liked him. He was smart and interesting and funny. The more Atalanta thought about it, the less she would have liked someone who was exactly like her, only better, because one, he'd be better, and two, they might end up killing each other because no marriage can handle that much intensity. Besides, Hippomenes didn't care that she wasn't like all the other women, In fact, he liked it. He didn't even try to make her subservient to him, as would have been the nature of most marriages in ancient Greece. He valued her strength and independence, and also valued his arms not being broken, for trying to insist that she be subservient to him. He told her about literature and plays and philosophy, and she taught him all about fighting, and hunting, and strategy. They were an accidentally perfect match. She even taught him to hunt, and out there far from the city, they could be free from all the expectations and roles that stifled their life within the city walls. They could be themselves. They also did other stuff out in the forest. One time, laying in each other's arms, after, Atalanta looked up at the sky. She remarked how perfect it was out there, away from everything. Things were only going to get more difficult and more restricted as time went on, when she would eventually become queen and Hippomenes king, they wouldn't be free to spend their days out in the forest, hunting and being together. Atalanta wished they could spend all their time, together, out in the woods. And Artemis, who had watched over the girl from when she was a baby, and on the hunt, heard the prayer of Atalanta, and she knew what she must do. She flew to her father, Zeus, with a favor to ask. In an instant, back there in the forest, Atalanta and Hippomenes transformed, into majestic lions. It was a shock at first, but soon they bounded together playfully and enjoyed their new forms, and Atalanta and her Hippomenes would live together forever in the freedom of the wild. So, We should unpack that ending. Basically, I wish that that was the real ending from Mythology. There are a few different versions, though none are as happy as the one I told. That sort of happy interpretation is from Adrian Mayer's book on the Amazons, but certain endings from Mythology are much darker. They range from the pair stopping at an altar to a god and defiling it by being a married couple on it and transforming into lions. There's also a version that talks about how Hippomenes forgot to pay tribute to Aphrodite for the apples, and she inflamed the pair with lust, knowing that this would result in the gods becoming angry and retaliating against the pair. There's also the thing with the lions. In the ancient Greek world, there were some that believed that the lions didn't mate with other lions, but with other big cats. So the pair would be forever lions hunting in the forest, but being unable to be together. Another twist of the blade and a life full of hardship for Atalanta. Atalanta has a complicated relationship with the ancient Greeks. She's one part cautionary tale about a woman trying to be equal to men, and one part intriguing role model. Her art was everywhere, and she was a mythological figure with fans among both men and women. And as a quick note, some stories of Atalanta have her being raised a lot longer by the bears, and not just for one quick meal. We had a lot of story to get to, so I shortened that part, but that is a change I made. I know I mentioned the Amazons last week, and we're gonna get to them, but that's a way more complicated episode than I realized. It'll be a few weeks. In the meantime, next week is a story from Romanian folklore with a somewhat dark prophecy, a pig infestation, and a whole new meaning to giving someone the finger. I want to say thanks to M J five zero one, N C ninety three, Judge Flaps, Yassieassieass ninety four, R McR, J Q W ninety seven, Guy who studies E Eng. Chris J. Lynch, Astro Owen, Peanut Butter, SJ from OZ, Tressie 182, Faith Star 19, Elf Dart, Colin Mickey, Katie Sari, Josh RBG, Angie Plums, and Heavy Metal Mullet for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of 73 mini banana Laffy Taffies, you can get extra episodes, source-pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that, while they might not make you as sick as eating 73 Laffy Taffies, contain jokes that are just as bad. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is Al, from the folklore of North Africa and Afghanistan. If you were ever told as a child that you shouldn't run with scissors, well, there's a reason. One, it's dangerous, and two, Owl runs with scissors, and you do not want to be like Al. Al is a hairy little man with boar tusks protruding orc style from his mouth, brass claws, fiery eyes, iron teeth, and shaggy, wild hair. As we said, Owl runs with scissors, and he'll attack anyone who enters his areas with said scissors. Where are his areas? Well, He likes anywhere that's dark and damp, which can't really be great for his iron teeth, but whatever. So, swamps, caves, and the corners of stables, one of those being way more common than the other two. If he attacks you with the scissors, you shouldn't take it personally. They weren't meant for you. They were meant for when Al tries to procure his favorite snack, newborn children. He'll steal the child and use the scissors to cut the umbilical cord, because Al may be a monster, but he's not a monster except for the times when he steals the recovering mother's liver. Then he's a monster. The creature in Afghanistan is very different. It's a woman and she has floating hair and talons for fingernails. She though is a bit more polite and does not eat children. She prefers to snack on fresh corpses. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. And I want to encourage you to check out a new podcast called LeVar Burton Reads. A lot of us learn to love a good story by watching LeVar Burton, host of the wonderful TV show, Reading Rainbow. Well, LeVar has a new podcast that recreates the magic for grown-ups. It's called LeVar Burton Reads. Each episode, LeVar picks one of his favorite short stories and reads it to you. I really think you'll enjoy it. Subscribe to LeVar Burton Reads in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.